In St. Paul's day, people would be accustomed or would have been accustomed to having traveling preachers or philosophers visit you know, their town or their outpost. They would have been accustomed to these preachers, philosophers and such, trying to cultivate interests in their message to develop disciples, students. And they would have been especially accustomed to these men seeking to get into their pocketbook, right, into their coin purse, getting people to pay for what they were hearing. That's not us, Paul is saying. You recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery, working night and day in order not to burden any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You know, preachers, teachers, presbyters, Paul says elsewhere, have a right to be paid. The laborer deserves his wages, he said. But even though that's the case, we have chosen not to exercise that right. You know, for his livelihood, Paul made tents. That is, he worked with his hands for the basic necessities of his life, food, shelter, clothing. And then on top of doing all that manual labor, he did the work of an apostle, founding communities, preaching, then also dealing with the aftermath. You know, then Paul wrote this, though for some reason it's omitted from our reading, you know how, like a father to his own children, we encouraged each of you and strengthened you and made it clear to you that you should behave in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know, first, in light of the gospel, we might just note that Jesus' prohibition of using those terms, master, rabbi, teacher, father, must not be absolute. Otherwise, Paul is at odds with Jesus when he uses the word father and applies it to himself. It must have to do with getting caught up in titles, being preoccupied with them, or trying to understand fatherhood or being a teacher apart from the great teacher, the one father. But what was Paul's point? I mean, that one true God has reached out and called you. Don't underestimate this. Don't overlook this extraordinary gift. He has seen you, loved you, and desired you for his own. And because God has called you to be a special possession, well, then your lifestyle, the way in which your life takes shape, every dimension of your life, every portion of it, must correspond to the call that you've received. Reflect God's goodness as you've seen that way of life in us, Paul is saying. I mean, that's a huge statement. I mean, maybe you parents are accustomed to doing something like that. As you have seen patience in me, kids, you be patient. As you have seen a prayer life in me, you pray in that way. It's a big deal, but that's simply how it should be for parents, for priests, as a father does with his children, as a nursing mother cares for her children. You know, the absence of this is the problem Jesus points out in the gospel. Their words are one thing. Their example is something else. Paul's life speaks more effectively than his words. And the effectiveness of his words, well, those depend upon his life. 
Pope Paul VI put it this way. He said, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if he listens to teachers, it's because they are witnesses. Isn't that good? Modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. And if he listens to teachers, parents, priests, it's because they are witnesses. As a nursing mother cares for her children, like a father to his own children, we encourage each of you. Now, so here are a few gospel animated examples that come to my mind. The first is of my grandpa Farrar, my dad's dad. You know, he didn't grow up Catholic. I believe he was Methodist. And I think he came into the church when he married my grandmother. And I still remember serving at Mass, and our sanctuary was much wider and deeper, and the servers sat behind the priest. I remember Mass after Mass serving, being able to look out after the priest had said the words of consecration and elevate the host. Look at that and see in the pews my grandfather kneeling and striking his breast, saying, my Lord and my God, which I could hear when, he was, when I was close to him. And then as his health deteriorated, I'm almost sure I can recall being in the hospital and his spontaneously crying out with those words, my Lord and my God. I mean, it's not as though he was at mass simply because his wife wanted him to be there or drug him there. No, he had found that something here was the supporting nucleus, if you will, of his life. And I'd say both of my grandmothers came to mind as well. You know, both of my grandfathers had Parkinson's for a number of years, especially my mom's dad. I think it was maybe something in the military that he came across because he got Parkinson's when he was younger than I am. He had it for 40 years of his life. Athletic man, outdoors, loved the outdoors, never complained. And there were their wives for years taking care of them. I still remember my granddad, mom's dad, as, you know, he was getting weaker and weaker. I'd visit him. He would sit in his chair and just not quite be strong enough to sit upright, you know, and so he'd kind of be moving towards the side, and I could hear my grandma say, sit up straight, sit up straight. <laughs> and then when he'd walk, pick up your feet, pick up your feet, Nick, don't drag your feet. For better or worse, virtue or poor, in sickness and in health, till death do his part. I mean, the example said, a commitment is a commitment. And the mom came to mind. You know, my parents got married, and they moved up here to Kansas City. And they were only in the area for a short time. Dad got into insurance. And then they decided uh, to move back to southwest Kansas onto the farm. And my grandmother still tells this story this way, mom's mom, that when she was told about this, she said, Jan, who would want to live way out there? <laughs> Why would anyone want to live out there? And while mom never said these words, it became evident in her life that you bloom where you're planted. It's not, life is not about what you have to deal with whether or not that's fair, but how you respond to what life gives you. And one of the things that she was given was 
a gift of music, you know, playing piano. She has played piano at Mass, I think, for all of my life, basically all of my life, weekend after weekend, never once getting paid, saying, with gifts come responsibility. And when you fulfill your responsibility, life is just better. It's just richer that way. And then finally, Dad has come to mind. And I blush when I think of the simplicity of life with which he lives. He does not have a materialistic bone in his body. He drives his vehicles until they just won't go any longer. He wears the clothes that we gave him decades ago or that Mom made for him. It's like, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Let's hold on to what's most important. Then he has this moral conviction or clarity. There was a semester in college where I was taking, I think it was a philosophy class, and one of the books on the reading list, I mean, really had a blasphemous title. And so I come back at break, and I bring that book with me, kind of at that age where I'm exerting my independence, you know, to look what we're reading, you know. And so I hand it to him. I said, maybe you'd like to read this. And he said, no, but I'd like to burn it. It was such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. So dearly beloved, had you become to us. I mean, the one true God has called you. He's wanted you for his own. I mean, don't overlook that. Don't underestimate that or the shape of life that that implies.